All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can you see it? Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Adam's Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air. Let's go. Hello. 
Hello Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Chris, we should talk a little bit about Zephyr Epic, because Series 2 is coming out very soon, and listeners of this show can use promo code HockeySeason, all one word, capital H, capital S, Hockey Season on ZephyrEpic.com to get $5 off their order, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic.com, but my co-host, Chris Faber. Chris, how excited are you for these Series 2, and we're going to go... What are we calling it? Hoglander hunting? Is that what it is? Or Hoglander hunting? That, I mean, that makes sense, right? Hoglander hunting, two H's, a uh, little acronym. Is that what they're called? Put that together and uh, yeah, Hoglander hunting or hog hunting. I know people... Hog hunting. People, well, that's the problem. People got mad at me on Twitter for calling it Hogwatch back when I was watching uh, a lot of po- a lot of uh, Nils Hoglander, obviously. And people said Hogwatch has uh, a dirty in- innuendo behind it. And I, I was just saying, that's his name. I was watching Hog. Get it's your minds out of the gutters, people. Come on now. But no, Watch, can I, probably right. I gotta I don't want to go off the rails too hard, but yes, that Niels Huglander rookie card is going to be amazing. I'm so pumped for that. But I had this thought just as I was filling up my water bottle before this uh, episode of recording here, and I thought I should ask the Italian on it. Okay. Is a pizza made because of its great cheese or great sauce? Like I was thinking about the amount of cheese that you have, like the kind of cheese that you have, and just like getting the right amount of cheese on a pizza, or can a sauce be the more vital piece? Like out of the cheese or the sauce, what's the more vital piece of a pizza? I will say the sauce, but you can tank a pizza with too much cheese or too much sauce. Like it, it's tough because you need, you need both. You need the right amount of both, but I think you can have a you can have a pizza with less cheese than is the ideal amount, but you can't really have a pizza with less sauce than is the ideal amount. You know what I mean? But that that reminds me of a story. So when I was covering the Coquitlam Express last year, I wouldn't often eat at the rink, but one night I decided to walk over to the concession and I was like, okay, let me look what they have. They have soft pretzels. I was really leaning toward that. But I was, I don't know if you remember this. I was on a soft pretzel kick for a while. I uh, yeah, found I these that. frozen yep. ones. Yeah, the frozen ones at Walmart. And they're well, like I got the those in the freezer. Style. I was yeah. just looking at those in the freezer. Know what I was thinking? Throwing those in the air fryer. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah. But anyways, anyways, back to what Sorry. I was saying. <laughs> I was at Poirier trying to, you know, I was like, okay, maybe I'll eat something. Do I want a hot dog? No, I don't want a hot dog. So I look, and there's pizza. So I was like, okay, cool. And it's like in this heater thing. I was like, I'll grab a pizza. I was feeling pizza. So I get the pizza, and I start eating this, and I look at it, and it's just every kind of cheese. Like, it looks like they used, like, Tex-Mex, you know? Uh, It looks like they used that to top the pizza because there was so much cheese on this thing. And I ate it, and it was greasy, man. And... It was just like, it, that was an example to me of too much cheese tanking a pizza because I didn't enjoy the pizza as much as I would have if there was less cheese. So, you know what? We haven't even talked about our guest coming on the show. So, I think this is what the first question we ask Trevor Martins, uh, former program director at TSN 1040, longtime contributor to the Team 1040. We're going to talk to him for a while. But, Chris, we're going to obviously ask him the question. But now I want to pose it right back to you. Sauce or cheese? What is it? So I knew you were going to say sauce because you're Italian and you probably have like a a family tradition sauce that's been passed down for 4,000 years or whatever the heck Italians say. I I knew you were going to say sauce and I'm pretty sure I'm going to go with cheese because I was thinking of it more like if I'm making a pizza at home, 
if I were to go out and get and spend money on something to make my pizza really good, would I spend money on sauce or cheese? And I think I would go with cheese because, Are you... I don't know, cheese does it for me, man. If you get that good, like, I guess, what is it, like, low... Low moisture mozzarella. I think that's what it is. Right? Like that's what you put on cheese. Like the really low mo- moisture mozzarella, which is really hard to say. Say that ten times fast. But I think that that's what I would have gone with because that compared to whatever, just grating up some, you know, some Cracker Barrel marble cheese. I feel like if you spring a little bit and go for the cheese, I think I think that's what makes a pizza a little bit more than the sauce. To be honest. But okay, if you have the option. Of coming to my house to come pick up a jar of sauce or a brick of cheese. No, I don't care yeah. what cheese it is. Your low moisture mozzarella or whatever the hell you said. What are you picking when it comes down to that? Well, I mean, that's that's why I knew you were going to say sauce. Because you're Italian. I think you roll with it. Like, I don't have a family tradition for pizza sauce or, or sauce to go with my meatballs or anything. Like, we don't have that. So, I think that's why I'm with cheese. And I, I looked at it just making a personal pizza. I think looking at making a personal pizza for myself... I, I think I'd go with the cheese just because I think that's more of a game changer to me. Like, bad cheese would kill a pizza more than bad sauce would because most pizza sauce, like, isn't really bad. Like, I feel like you can't have a bad pizza sauce, but you can definitely have, like, bad cheese on a pizza. Like, you can't be throwing Kraft Singles on top of a pizza with a $200 sauce and just throw Kraft Singles on there. Like, that that just won't work. Like, you can, you can have a pizza with ketchup as the damn sauce. If you but have you some can- really good cheese, it might work. But you can just go buy the cheese. Okay, wait. Can can you buy pizza sauce, first of all? Because I'm going to be honest. I've never purchased pizza sauce in my life. And every time I've made pizza or pasta, I just go into the fridge and pull out the yogurt containers. Or in the freezer, the yogurt containers that are filled with sauce that are always in my fridge. That's <laughs> that's how it is for me. I've never purchased sauce in my I life. I remember. So. I got to tell a story. Because when I remember when I made you those stuffed meatballs such a long time ago, like yep. it was a really long time ago, I remember giving you those meatballs. And, like, I worked really hard on them. They are cheese stuff meatballs. I worked really hard. And I didn't put, like, any sauce on it. And I just, like, gave you the meatballs. And then you sent me a picture, like, an hour later. And they're just, like, covered in sauce. And I was like, what an Italian. He's just like, won't even eat my meatballs. He's got to cover them in his freaking sauce from his family (laughs) recipe. And it was, like, within, like, an hour, maybe, I saw you just had him, like, drenched in some quadrelli sauce. Well, you gave... Okay, so you gave me... Like, so many meatballs, and you gave me some spaghetti, too, right? Like, there was some spaghetti in there. So what I did is I made more spaghetti and then mm. added some sauce from the freezer. I, You know, you thought out, obviously, but I got the sauce, and I added it to it, and it was delicious. Like, those meatballs were fantastic. They, Dude, you, you killed it with those. I think you know that, but next time you make them, come over come over to my house. Have some quadrelli sauce, and it'll be yeah. it'll be game over. Like I guess that's you'll be changed forever. That's, that's I, and answer. your opinion on this pizza thing yeah. will change immediately. I guarantee. You. I was yeah. I think that's where I think that's what is the answer to this question is you got to have both. You know, get yeah. your Italian friend to give you one of the yogurt containers from the freezer. Fire that sauce up. Let it deep thaw out. Throw it on your pizza, and then spring for the extra the extra few bucks to get yourself some good cheese on pizza. I don't know. I was just like, and I was almost thinking about like pizza chains, right? Like, the, think about like Pizza Hut, Domino's, Little Caesars. It's not like any of those companies are really famous for having like good cheese or good meat, right? Like, I can't think of a pizza place that like excels at one of those two things. No, you're absolutely right. No, you're, you're like bang on. It's that's the thing is. <laughs> Yeah, I can. Whenever I think of fast food pizza and like the different types, I like rate them based on their greasiness. You know what I mean? Like that's how I recognize like fast food pizza, and that's just not the pizza that you have. Well, that I have at home. Like that's just it's not how it is. 
But did you Chris, hold on a prob- second? Okay. Well, did you call? Did you just call it bastard pizza? No. What? Oh, I said okay. fast food pizza. Oh, oh my okay. gosh. I was okay. like, man, I'm talking down on the pizzas. All right, let's. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. Get yeah. Into it. Hey, believe the, it or by not, the way, this is a Canucks by the way, podcast. The, uh, yeah, and you know what? The Canucks have lost seven of their last eight games. So <laughs> you wouldn't know it by listening to this podcast. But let's get uh, into you, it, Chris. Can you tell let's... that we're trying to ignore it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get into it, Chris. The last game the Canucks played. What did you think of their performance against the Calgary Flames, forcing the game into overtime late? I mean. When I looked at this game, it looked like a game where Jacob Markstrom looked good, as he usually does, but the Canucks also looked like the better team. It looks like they're a better team than the Flames, but those turnovers and those little brain brain lapses that they had, those little mistakes that were costing them so dearly early on in the season, came back to bite them. That was kind of my perspective of the game. Yeah, absolutely. It just seems like that's the way that this has gone for the Canucks. I mean, when things start to go downhill, they really pick up momentum for this team. There's not really like a flat area for them to slow down. Like once things start going bad, you saw it in the Toronto game as well. I mean, that one where they scored two goals in what, 12 seconds? That's just kind of the way that this team has been running the last little bit throughout this season. And I agree with you. I I thought that they played a pretty fine game. First period, you come out with a 2-0 lead going out of it, and you're looking pretty solid. Team scoring some goals, and and you got to be pretty optimistic about the way that they're looking. And then three straight from Calgary. I mean, that's that's tough to do um, and tough to come back from, especially. I think that this Canucks team is going to have to fight every single shift for them to win games because if they take a shift off, you know, the other team just seems to score a goal every single time, every time a player on the Canucks has a bad giveaway or takes a shift off. Quinn Hughes leads the league in points for defensemen. Despite that, there's been some criticisms of his game. Some of them have come from you and I, Chris. His defensive game hasn't looked Norris level, although his numbers offensively would suggest that he is Norris level. What have you seen from Quinn Hughes in the past week, let's say, since the last time we talked, I believe was almost Saturday. What have you seen in these past couple games from Quinn Hughes? Have you seen any improvement? Have you liked what you've seen from him? I, okay, like, I I think that a lot of these goals against for Quinn Hughes, and he kind of said it, like, I feel like he's playing fine defensively. Like, I I really think he is. Like, I think that Quinn Hughes is, if he's not making up for other players' defensive deficiencies in their own zone, like, he's he's just, I think he's doing a good job. I think he is doing a good job, and I know the numbers are going to tell you that I don't think there's any other player in the NHL who has been on as many goals against as Quinn Hughes, right? Like, he's leading the league in that point. Uh, and I just find it, like, it's tough because that stat obviously just screams out that he's been, like, bad defensively. But I don't know if he has. I think that he's he's got a lot on his plate, man. The Canucks are asking him to do a lot. Like, we see it now when they're trailing by one or two goals. He's playing, like, the last six, seven minutes with maybe one or two shifts off. This kid is being asked to do a lot. But what I'm liking from him is I think that his stick work has improved. I think that he's gotten better at being defensively sound at checking bigger wingers and guys in the corner. Like he's getting the puck out of those battles. And I don't know, I don't know what to point it on yet because it's almost like you just, you watch the game. You don't really see a lot of mistakes. And then you look at the score sheets after on natural stat trick and you're like, Oh wow. Quinn was on the ice for three, five on five goals against he's on the ice for two, five on five goals against. It's just kind of something that we're consistently seeing, but I'm not thinking that he's playing bad defensively. I just, Unfortunately, this Canucks team has given up so many goals, so many shots against, so many scoring chances against, 
that Quinn Hughes plays so many minutes, he's kind of just, you know, in the nature of it where he's going to fall and he's not going to have great numbers when you look at the way this team's played. I mean, heck, man, this team has lost, like we said, seven of their last eight games. Like, good luck having a positive gold share when your team's record is that bad. Here's my takeaway from Quinn Hughes' play. I think it really, and this is also kind of looking at Noah Hannafin playing with Chris Tanev in Calgary now, I think a lot of it has to do with the Chris Tanev effect. And I don't think a lot of us were really taking that into account when we said, you know, when... Obviously, the Canucks couldn't have signed Tanev. Like, that's, you know, that's that's out there. They shouldn't have signed Tanev to a four-year deal. They'd be getting criticized, rightfully so, if they signed him to the identical contract he signed in Calgary. But Chris Tanev's having a great year right now, and he's really shored up Noah, Noah Hannafin on that pairing for Calgary. So mm. when I look at it, and I see that Quinn Hughes, maybe his numbers aren't great on the defensive side of the game, but he's still putting up more points, and he's looking pretty solid... What I kind of think now is, okay, here's what that proves. That proves not only is Quinn Hughes elite, duh, but if you shore that first pairing up by giving him a solid right-handed defensive defenseman that can transition the puck, like, the guy's playing with Jordy Ben right now, man. Like, he's playing with Jordy Ben, Chalen Chatfield, and Tyler Myers, right? And Tyler Myers is objectively the best of that bunch, right? And, you know, obviously Chris Tanev is better than all of those guys. But I'm not trying to pin this on Quinn's partners. I'm just saying I believe that if he gets a more stable partner similar to Chris Tanev, I think in the long run that's kind of something the Canucks should be looking to do. They should look to get a first-pairing right-handed defenseman. Now, I know that's much easier said on a podcast (laughs) than done, but yes. if they're able to do that, like I, I legitimately think we're looking at a Norris caliber defenseman here because he, his numbers are going to improve defensively if he's with a better partner. And again, not trying to blame this on his partners. It's just the way things are. If he's with a better partner, he's going to play better himself and the numbers are going to reflect that. Quinn Hughes hasn't really been the problem, but he also is being asked to do a ton. And that's one thing. As we wrap up the Quinn Hughes talk a bit here, that's one thing I kind of thought about when I was looking at this year's team, and I'm just like, man, like people are really pointing out Myers looks brutal some nights, and it's just, man, we're only year two of that contract and all that stuff. But one thing I realized, and another reason that people are kind of like, okay, like this is why you start to pin things on the GM, is Myers is being asked to play a bigger role. And now I get it. I get he's paid $6 million and I get you want that guy playing on the first pairing, but he's playing huge minutes, power play and penalty kill and a ton at five on five. He's playing more of a role now than he ever has in his career. And I think we're starting to see him get not overworked, but maybe overused. Like he's being used in roles that he's not really used to. And he's being relied upon as a first pairing, second pairing guy. And I, look, I know the Canucks wanted him to be that. We've had Harmon on the show, and we've all talked about Myers' role. He is best suited as a 4-5. That's where he's best suited. And yeah, I didn't sign the contract. Don't blame me. I'm just telling you how it is. That's where Myers excels the most. And I know it's tough with a $6 million contract to really build your blue line around that, but that's just the reality of things. I think that this is a case with Myers of somebody just being asked to do too much because there's not enough of a supporting cast around him. Right. And I think that that contract that was signed had the idea of that he was going to be able to do more, right? Like the, when they signed that contract, they didn't say, Oh, let's give a guy $6 million for five years to be a four five. 
right? So there's an expectation, I think, from internally on Tyler Myers that he can do a lot of different things. And at times he can, right? Like, I mean, him and Ole Levy as a pairing, I thought they've looked pretty good. Um, yep. I just think that it's weird. Like, I really like the Edler-Schmidt pairing, right? Like, that's my favorite pairing on this Canucks team right now. I think that pairing's great. I think that Myers and Yolevi work. And to go back to your point of what you said, yeah, I mean, Jordy Ben is is fine with Quinn Hughes. I mean, they've been on the ice for eight goals for and nine goals against. That's not horrible, right? That's not bad. But picture what you just said there. Like, if you can get a guy who can make Quinn Hughes better instead of just stay afloat with Quinn Hughes as a partner, yeah, I mean, that, that makes this decor so much better. And I, I wonder what happens with Travis Hamannick, who seems to be pretty close to returning now. He he seems like the guy who is going to play with Quinn Hughes when they get back to that. Imagine if that pairing ends up finding some success. Imagine if Hamannick does get back to to playing a similar game to Chris Tanev, like a lot of us were hoping for when they signed that contract and brought him in on the PTO. Like that could really just drastically change what this defense core is looking like because Jordy Ben, though he's been a great fill-in, I still think he's a good seventh defenseman on your team, right? I don't think he's a guy who should be playing in the top four of your five-on-five pairings. And that's just the situation that he's put into right now on the side of Quinn Hughes. I just, I think that there's more to see from Travis Hamannick in that situation. And and I've been high on Hamannick for, for a while, I think. I think as soon as the signing was happening, I, I've been pretty high on the idea of Hamannick coming in and playing with Hughes. And, you know, they got their little five-game stretch with each other. So I think he's close to returning from all the reports that we're hearing and seeing. Um, so I think that might give a little bit of a jolt to this group. And I'm interested to see that happen for sure. Because I, like I said... I like Schmidt and Edler as a second pairing in the NHL. I think they do a great job together. We're going to talk more about this on the other side of the break, but we do have to cut now to Trevor Martins, former program director at TSN 1040. So we'll cut to some ads, then we'll talk to Trevor Martins. And Chris, you and I are definitely going to resume this chat on the other side of that. We'll also talk to Corey Hergott. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for epic case break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game? Well, problem solved, folks. Same day delivery now from the folks at Parallel 49 Beer. That's right, the P49 crew is here and available on Uber Eats. All that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.Parallel49Brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at Parallel49Beer. Alright guys, and joining us now, as we mentioned, Trevor Martins, formerly of TSN 1040, the program director there, 17 and a half years with the station and uh, we want to talk about some of the stories Trev uh, thank you for doing this first of all and I guess we'll just start what's it been like now one week later what are what are your feelings I guess yeah it's well it's one week today when we uh, got the bad news and the shock of a lifetime I guess I'll call it because uh, it, it hit like a gun it hit like a gut punch that I've never been hit with before and uh, it's it sucks there's no there's no ifs ands or buts about it and uh, right now the shock I guess is kind of worn off we're all kind of 
I guess, accepted it and it still sucks. And we're still, you know, frustrated, angry, confused, all the adjectives, but at the same time, it is a business that we, we always knew that something like that could happen. I didn't know. I didn't think it would ever go nuclear the way it did with the whole station. And that, that's what really hurt the most is the fact that, I, I, yeah, I'm sad for myself. I was sad for my colleagues, my friends, um, sad for the sports fan in the city that loved 1040 and made it part of their daily routine. That's what really sucks is that it, um, it's, it's, it's just not there for so many people. And it, it meant so much to so many different people. And that's what, uh, you know, the last seven days I've been thinking about all our different listeners and just, seeing the outpour of comments of support has been fantastic from everyone and um while it means, certainly means a lot and it means it, it it does help things it certainly does but it's still uh the sting is definitely still there and it'll be there for a while there's no doubt about that i mean i was there 17 and a half years it was a big part of my life and you can ask my wife i probably took my work a little bit too more too too seriously i i, I probably was on my phone way too much checking emails and to the detriment of uh, maybe uh, doing stuff around the house. But um, uh, so, yeah, so it was, uh, it, it's still a week later, it's still, it's still there and it's still stinging. And I go through good spells and bad spells. I tried going, uh, we had a wife and I had a date night and we went downtown for the weekend or for, for a night on Saturday night, went out for a nice dinner, but then I walked by the building and that brought a bunch of things back. And uh, I might've flipped the bird to the bidding, to the building, but uh um that was my that was my uh my my good day um so yeah so again things are tough but um it's time to it's time to move uh, onward and upward here well i don't think you're the only one flipping a bird to that building to be yeah. honest Trent. uh yeah. i i want to take it back you mentioned it uh 17 and a half years um for yeah. for guys like dave and i who are in bcit similar to what you did as well um what's what was it like for you to get started in the industry and maybe kind of work your way up to the position that you got in because that that 17 and a half year journey that's that's an interesting one I'd just kind of like to hear how that kind of started and and how you worked your way up so fast yeah well I wouldn't say I would never say that it was a fast journey that's for sure um so it was the it was the November of 2003 I was just starting in my first year at BCIT I was two months into the program and there was a job posting on I think it was Kevin Ribble's door at the time and it said, do you want to be an operator at Team 1040? The guy who uh, post, put the, uh, the posting up was Mike Whittingham. Mike Whittingham host, or, uh, taught a part-time course back in the day that I took a couple of months prior. I sent him an email. He's like, sure, come on, you're hired, basically. It wasn't, there was no exhaustive interview process. It was for a uh, board operator on Sunday mornings at 6 a.m., and that's how I got my foot in the door, and I uh, – you know, that was it. Um, for two years while I was going to school, I was working weeknights and I was working on the weekends. Then maybe a, two weeks after I graduated in 05, I was offered the morning show producer gig. So I was really excited about that. I was working with Rick Ball and Barry McDonald still to this day, probably my favorite show that I've ever worked with. Um, just the, the amount of fun that we had on that show. That's no disrespect to all the other shows I did, but just um, working with Mac and Ball was just so much fun. And <clears throat> And then from there, I did uh, BMAC and Scotty show and then bounced around with Blake Price a little bit on the middays and then evenings and back to middays where I was with Sakaris and Blake uh, producing the midday show. But at that point, when I was with Sakaris and Price, I kind of had my eyes on doing more. 
and doing more than just producing. And I love I love producing shows, but I've been doing it for about seven, eight years or so. And I wanted to do a little bit more and take on some more responsibility. And that's what happened. I uh, ended up getting uh, operator supervisor. So I was kind of doing two, two roles at the same time. I was producing the show and doing on, you know, scheduled work and doing some programming and stuff like that from there. Then I was offered assistant program director to Mike Whittingham. Then it was Rob Gray. And then, you know, in 2017, Rob Gray left Bell Media and they offered me the program directing gig. And it was a gig that I didn't know if I was ready for. It was my goal, but I was still 30, you know, 35, 36 at the time. And I just, I was still young. Like I was still young in the business and to be a program director of a major market uh, sports radio station, it was a bit intimidating. I'm not going to sit here in line and say it wasn't, but I had plenty of support from Mike Whittingham. Matt Sakaris told me to go for it. All the other guys had my full support and that that's what meant the world to me. And I took on the role and I learned as I went along and it was, a. Uh, was for the first six, seven months, there was some trial and error. There's some plenty of, there's a learning curve for sure. But then I finally got, you know, my feet planted in that role and I was excited and I was way more confident in my decision-making and that's, uh, then I was, I was comfortable and I was working a job that I really, really loved. I loved doing it. I was passionate about it. Took great pride in what we did, um, working with all the shows and then trying to find kind of with creative ideas. I, started the idea with crossover week which was a lot of fun where we kind of mixed and matched all the shows that was a lot of fun to do and just as recently as you know a week or last monday night before we before we got the bad news i was working on some 20th anniversary stuff and it's just such a shame that uh the 20th anniversary didn't come for uh, team 1040 or tsn 1040 uh would have been may 7th would have been 20 years on the air and it's such a shame that we never got to that point but uh that's basically my journey, uh, 17 and a half years. Never was, I, I think it was short though, Chris. It was always a long journey. So plenty of ups and downs, plenty of uh, soul searching in there. It was uh, in the early stages, it was a long grind. Is you know, working the morning show for a bunch of years. And did I want to continue to do this? I second guessed myself a few times, but I stuck with it. And I'm glad I did. I don't regret it for a second. I love every single um, decision I made with uh, Team 1040 or TSN 1040. Now, you mentioned a few things there. One of the things you mentioned is almost 20 years on air. Something you and J-Pat did was look back at all the best moments of the station's history. Chris yeah. and I really enjoyed that, as did many, many other people, I'm sure. And uh, it was funny because what kind of made me think of this question is because you brought up working with Rick Ball and BMAC and that clip of you putting the collar through that you thought was Phil Sims. I just love it so much because it's just it's just one of my favorite moments. So what I'll ask you um is other than the poker debate because everybody says that's their favorite but other than that one what was your favorite on that list your favorite moment in station history yeah it because i put that list together last year and full disclosure i was the judge and jury on that list so i i, I put all the the work into that one um in terms of making the list um and it's tough to beat that poker moment moment i'm just i'm as much as i want to say there's something better i don't know that there is so poker moment is is the number one i have a every time i listen to mr showbiz and super dave osborne i hear something <laughs> that makes me laugh harder and harder every single time so that was number two for me i mean that one was just it was so off and the backstory behind it of daryl not doing any prep for the interview and it just came out that way with the guests 
um, and just how everything he got was wrong. It was one thing after another. And so that one is my other favorite moment. There's plenty of moments that kind of flew under the radar or not, not a lot of people know about in terms of it didn't get as much uh, replay on the station. But uh, in terms of the big moments, it's definitely Super Dave Osborne as my other favorite one for sure. And uh, I've heard a few stories, uh, obviously from stuff that didn't happen on air, but there was a story that I heard from somebody in Vancouver Island that said the, the 1040 guys made it up to a, a bar up in Campbell River at one point, I guess, and cleaned house on, like a, on a sports trivia night where they said they've never heard so many F-bombs dropped uh, in one meeting. I don't know if there's any truth behind this story. Or this was just a story from around the mill. But what I wanted to get your opinion, or maybe a story or two from, is is some of the events that you guys were able to do as the 1040 family. Because uh, I think a lot of the pictures that we've seen lately were from the bowling night that you guys had, uh, whatever, a couple of years ago maybe now, I guess that was. But yep. maybe some of the other events that you were able to do with a group of guys and gals uh, from 1040 that you just had a great time at. Yeah, full disclosure, Chris, I have no idea what the Campbell River <laughs> incident is. I literally have never heard that once in my life. So uh, if, if it was happening, it was happening without me. Now, that's a tough one because I'm not going to sit here and lie and say we did a lot of the – yeah, we had that bowling event last year, and that was a lot of fun. But a lot of the stuff that kind of makes the 1040 legend stories is stuff that happened on Canuck road trips or when the guy for the 2011 Canuck run, you could talk to Blake and Sakaris or BMAC and Rick Ball was on that trip or on all those trips about stuff that happened at the bar and stuff like that. But in terms of a big rock, I, I wish I had a better story for you, but in terms of stuff behind the scenes, in terms of going out to events, there's not a ton. Now there's plenty of stories that happened within the studio walls and within uh, the offices and stuff like that. But in terms of being on the location for a certain event or some kind of social event, there's not a ton. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to talk the question. I just, <laughs> I, I just don't have anything that sticks out outside of stuff that would have happened on a Canucks trip or the Vegas trip that we used to do with our clients. I wasn't on it, but then the Rick Dolly wall being drunk in <laughs> Vegas stories uh, certainly uh, has made 1040 legend status for sure. Okay. Trev curveball question for you. Yep. I'm wondering, so, okay, so you're, you're talking about stories that happened inside the studios. Were you there the day that Sakaris and Price had that big snow tire blow up? I was not there. I was at home because I didn't want to go in because of the snow. So I was the one, the, I was one of the people that really, <laughs> that Sakaris was really pissed off at. So the uh, story of that day, we actually had a meeting that night scheduled with myself and a bunch of the hosts um with one of our partners with one of our partners and we have everything all set up to meet up it means six o'clock seven o'clock uh in the boardroom down the hall after sakaris and price show we had dinner all mapped out and everything then the snow hit and then i was like i, I don't want to go in it's you know it's there's a bunch of snow on the ground and i don't live all that close and i just don't feel like going in and then halford sent a sent an all staff email saying so we're not going in. This is canceled, right? That set off Sakaris. If there's one thing that Sakaris hates, it's defeatism. And so us kind of coming to the snow and just not wanting to deal with the snow, that was defeatism in Matt's eyes. Keep in mind, Matt lives about you know seven minutes from the studio and doesn't have that big of a commute. Uh, whereas Halford, he lived in Burnaby at the time. I lived in Burnaby at the time. Uh, Donnie lives in Anmore up on the hills and you know it could be treacherous on those roads and if we don't have to do it then we'd rather not do it right so we tried to reschedule that meeting that just set off care so that put him in a bad mood from the get-go and then 
during that day, I got a call from Sakaris about the amount of people not arriving to work or not being willing to go to work. Or he'd go downstairs into the offices, see the offices were all basically empty because people were doing were working from home remotely. So um, he was already in a bad mood. And then it just came out with the uh, Blake Price on the snow tire. And, and uh, that was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that moment. When those moments happen, you just got to sit back. And I'm, the, one of the better things that Andrew Wadden did for that, he shut up. Because he didn't like. Sometimes he might want to weigh in or tell the guys to calm down. He didn't. He just let them have at it, and that was the perfect way to play that incident because uh, that's what made it so memorable. Okay, more recent one. It was a poll uh, yep. a bit back, back a couple months ago, I think. Which host of the hosts that were most recently employed? Which host would you put if you had to pick one person to go represent the station on Jeopardy? Who would you pick? Because personally. I'm going Bruff and he got the least votes and I was messaging him about this. I was like, I don't know why no one's voting for you because he was the only one that played it on air, but everybody said Donnie. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. So that's one of the great, one of the other things that I'm really regretting is that we never got to do the 1040 Jeopardy night. We've been planning that for a while and then COVID hit. So we had to put that on the back burner. I, like right before COVID hit, we were trying to find places to actually host a 1040 Jeopardy night. But then, like I said, then COVID hit and we obviously couldn't do it. And then I remember the poll question being brought up again recently. And it's a tough one because they all kind of have, I think an underrated, an underrated choice would be Blake Price. Blake Price is pretty uh, knowledgeable. He's a smart guy. Um, he's, he's got a, a vast variety of knowledge, right? Because Sakaris is obviously... In, you know, in his mind, he's the smartest guy in the room, no matter what room he's in. Um, and Sakaris is a smart guy, right? I'm not sitting here saying that he's not. But I think when it comes to different kinds of topics, I think Blake hit wide variety because he has, you know, sports knowledge and lots of pop culture knowledge and then history knowledge as well. And just general, I, I think Blake Price is an underrated choice. So I'd probably lean towards him. But Sakaris is up there as well. I'm not going to try to dog on him at all i think last place would probably be mike halford and quite frankly he probably just doesn't care about it either so <laughs> i'm gonna go with uh with blake first sakara second and everyone else is kind of in in the middle and then mike halford would be last i i think i would actually roll with you there with blake maybe just hoping that sakaris hears this but um yes <laughs> I, <laughs> I i wanted to move into something that um man made a lot of my shifts a lot better back when i was working at the mill uh, a couple of years ago working that night shift uh, when you brought in Rob Faye for the first time and that night show and really changed, you know, at the time, what nighttime radio was like for Vancouver. I, I just wanted to get kind of where that idea kind of came from and why you decided to go with Rob in that spot. The idea kind of came from Rob Faye. He gave me a call and said, Hey, I got a great idea. Let's, can we, can you, can I pitch something to you? And he did. And we, you know, Rob Faye, when he was working with the Canadians and we had the Canadians games on our air, he'd always kind of filled in shifts here or there. Um, during the holidays, during the summertime when he wasn't working the Canadians. And I always knew that Rob was a very talented broadcaster. Um, I always knew that he could certainly handle a show. It was kind of finding the right spot for him more than anything, because Rob with a co-host is not as good as Rob Solo. Rob is a rare host where he is most effective when he's on his own. And that's what you know made him such a great baseball broadcaster is because he could fill the time um, uh, doing the, 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 so the, the baseball game solo. So uh, he came to me and pitched me the idea of the, of doing a late night show because we hadn't had a late night show 
uh, in about five, six years, we had Moj and Scotty Rintel used to do nighttime shows and we hadn't had anything for a while. And um, I was always interested in kind of bringing that back and Rob pitched me on it. And I said, okay, let's do it. Let's get the ball rolling. And he found a good little spot there. Uh, excuse me. And he really came into his own the last couple of months here. I really saw a big difference in the, in his quality and his engagement with his uh, listeners and, like the numbers he was pulling in on Facebook live was ridiculous. Like he was pulling, you know, five, 600 people commenting on his Facebook show on his uh, Facebook live show. So, um, and then he came the just last or two Saturdays ago when he came in after the Canucks lost to the Leafs and called me up. He's like, Trev, I want to go in. I want to do the show. Let me have the airtime. And I wasn't going to sit by and let him not do it. So, um, and then that show was fantastic. Like, I wish we could, I wish we could have done that show for an extra hour or two because he could have gone on all night. So <clears throat> a great regret or a great, sh- another great shame in all this is Rob Faye's evening show coming to an end because it was kind of a, a renaissance, if you will, to uh, days of when late night sports talk radio in the city was so big with obviously with Dan Russell. And I really think that Rob Faye could have hit a brand new, a, a bigger, broader audience at nighttime um and it's just such a shame that it came to an end so so abruptly yeah i just like back when i worked at the middle night shift like if i was just going around cleaning up or something like every radio station throughout the yeah. mill is playing ten forty when they heard about this night show because you know people yeah. would talk about it in the lunchrooms and the smoke pits and it took like a, a couple of weeks to catch on and, and it was just perfect you know yeah. for that type of guy working that job or driving around at nights and um another show that i spent a lot of time or killed a lot of time at the mill was listening to when i first started listening uh, to 1040. I think one of the first shows that kind of hooked me in was BMAC Donnie and the Moach. And <laughs> I don't know if it was how much they were allowed to laugh when doing an ad read or just the chemistry that those three had together. Or maybe I tuned in right around when the ponies uh, were getting yeah. picked. But uh, that show was one for me that that really just hooked me in. Um, I just I'm wondering, like, what did you think of that group of guys like that trio? Because we don't really see a lot of trios, really, uh, you know, in sports talk radio very much anymore. But man, like those three guys knocked it out of the park with their knowledge of Vancouver and just ability to entertain everyone. Yeah, that's fine. A bunch of guys that know the city as well as those three right there. Now, the show started as BMAC and Taylor, and then BMAC had some health concerns, and we brought in Moj to kind of work on that show, and it became the three person show. Um, but BMAC and Donnie have just instant chemistry because they go, they go, go way back and because they're really good friends. And that's what made that show so special is because they belong so well sometimes you know a friendship could be you know you, you might think hey they'll never debate they'll never get in arguments or anything like that but those still went at it once in a while um and they did a good job of doing that but yeah that show was just a lot more than anything it was just a lot of fun and that's what i kind of preached to when uh then obviously bmac left um that's what i preached to donnie and moe just just go out there, be yourselves, have fun. If the show goes off the rails because you're talking about mustard for 15 minutes, I don't really care. Just go out and have fun. Let's go those moments. What we sports radio, it's all it's always been about entertainment. It's always been about, you know, uh connecting to listeners in so many different ways. You don't just need to talk about the Connect Second Power Play all the time. It's about talking about what you did yesterday or what or some history of Vancouver. The key is not to do it and oh, you know, overkill and do 45 minutes on mustard that's just excessive but um and i always bring up mustard for some reason it's just the, the first word that comes to mind just random uh, object that comes to mind um but uh i know I, I was more than encouraging of those guys taking their show off the rails and they did that 
on the daily. Let's face it. Like they, you know, they had a lot of fun. And when the, when there was time to hit on the big sports topics, they certainly did. And they hit on the media issues and they had some opinions that people did not care for and did not like. And that's fine. That's what we want. We wanted guys that, you know, push the button to a certain extent, but we wanted guys to get people talking and that's what they did. And they were a great show and they were coming into their own. The numbers suggested that they were, you know, hitting a, a brand new audience. They weren't on the downfall of their careers by any stretch. They had a very strong show. The numbers backed it up and it's such a shame that that one ended as well. Yeah, most definitely. I just, I, I guess my first introduction to BMAC was I was, I was playing baseball in the BCPBL. I'm the same age as his son. Uh, yeah. So his son played for the same team, like I, I, you know, same league and we played against them. And I, I was playing first base and BMAC was the, he was the first base coach and it was, you know, 20 to 30 times a game, him telling me to tie my shoes, you know, talking crap between every single pitch, telling me my belt loops undone, tuck my Jersey in. And like the guy just didn't stop for like three hours. And, and then I remember going back to my coach and I said, what's up with the first base coach? Like he won't shut up. Like he won't yeah. shut up the whole time. And he's like, he's like, that's BMAC from uh, Scotty and BMAC at the time we're running the morning show. So that was kind of my first introduction to them. Uh, and then to kind of come full circle and then hear them on, Mac Donnie the Moj kind of tying the pieces together was just kind of cool for me and, and you know when I first started listening that that was kind of the show like I mentioned that got me hooked into it yeah and that was BMAC that was uh that was what he did he loved to have fun he loved to trash talk and even when I was producing for him and Scotty Rintoul if Scotty wasn't looking he'd kind of throw me a quick glance making fun of Scotty and vice versa we all had fun with each other right or if a, if a guest said something stupid we'd kind of turn off the mics and kind of make fun of that that comment or something like or if a caller said something stupid and that was BMAC he just all he ever wanted to do was just go out and have a good time and have a lot of fun and uh, he's a great friend of mine a great mentor of mine like I mentioned Mike Whittingham off the top of being uh, someone who's very been, been very influential in my career BMEC is right up there because I called him, uh, I don't know, I think it was 2009, 2010, where I was at a major crossroads of whether or not I wanted to continue on in radio. I just wasn't sure if I wanted to put to uh, put in the time anymore. But he said, Trevor, you're a talented guy. We met up for dinner. We went to Cactus Club on Low Heat. I can still remember where we were. And uh, we had a great sit down, great talk. And he uh, taught me a lot. And I, I owe a lot to him. And I check in with him every once in a while. And he's uh, doing okay. And uh but uh, yeah, he's just a great guy. And I, I, I miss him a lot and uh, I miss his legacy too. Two part question here. First yep. part is how excited were you to start working with Rick Dollywall again? And the second mm-hmm. part is what's your reaction when you hear him reading these names from the inbox? Yeah. So uh, when Dollywall was, was let go, um, I guess he was, I don't know, it was on a Tuesday or whatever it was. And I called him the next morning basically because I thought it was a no brainer to bring him on just in terms of what he meant to this market. And I knew what kind of a worker uh, he was. I worked with Dollywell when I first started operating in 2003 where I was just a a young rookie and I had a very uh, big baby face on. And, you know, I just, I was just an operator in the building and there's a bunch of, you know, big sports guys in the city or in that, in that station. So I was just the operator there and, he only called me by the name Monahan. He couldn't remember my name for some reason. He just called me Monahan, and that kind of uh, grew and grew and grew. And then I hadn't talked to Rick for about ten years. And then obviously I gave him that call uh, on that Wednesday morning, and it was a no-brainer for me to kind of bring him on the on board and get him involved with our station. And it was so great to have him on uh, have him on the team because he meant so much. I I I don't use the term 
uh, I, I don't use it haphazardly. He busted his ass more than anyone I'd ever seen, if I'm being honest. That guy worked really hard, tirelessly. Uh, the, the amount of work he did and the effort that he put in was something that I was amazed by. Um, and it was so great to have him. Now, in regards to him pronouncing those names, um, that was something else. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to make of him, you know, saying the names fill her butt and some of the other ones, but it made for some fun radio and you know, we've all heard the clips a bunch of times. They're fantastic radio. It's, it's just so much fun. And that, again, that's what I preach. Go out there, go have a good time, be idiots. And because those moments right there are what stand out because people will hear those moments and be like, hey, did you hear what Dollywall said? Did you hear what this guy said? As opposed to, did you hear what so-and-so said about the penalty kill last night? Like that stuff has a, has a time and place, but it's the other moments that stick out for people. And that's what makes the radio so great sometimes yeah it's too bad i thought mike oxlong was definitely going to get in there at some point but uh <laughs> that's too bad i i wanted to um just kind of get and i think this is kind of tough to talk about because what you guys were building at 1040 was it's something that i've emailed you about i wanted to work there one day after coming out of radio school i, I loved hearing all the stories from everyone and and seeing what you guys were building there was was incredible and i think that the shows were awesome uh, the changes that were made were were incredible. I just wanted to know, like, from you being able to to kind of be put into the spot where you're kind of playing like a coach, right? I mean, you get to to make the decisions for the players that are in the situations to be on radio. How did you feel? I mean, at the, you know, even just think about it two weeks ago with the group that you built and the programs that you had, like, with losing the rights to the Canucks a couple of years ago and still being able to post the numbers that you guys did. I mean, you, you got to be pretty proud of what you're building there, Trev. Yeah, no, for sure. And there's no doubt about that. And, uh, as we talked about earlier, I, I go way back with this station, 17 and a half years. And from 6A to 6P and then adding in Rob Fay as well, I don't know. I'm not just doing this to, to pump myself up or anything like that. I'm not doing I'm, I'm doing it to because I'm being 100% honest. I don't know a time where we had sounded as good as we have from all hours of all our shows. Um, that's the all, again, with all due respect to every uh, incarnation of any show that we've ever had in terms of uh, consistency throughout the lineup. We just had, we, we, we were building something really good. And I think we were just kind of hitting our stride uh, really well um, as recently as a couple of weeks ago. And I was just really proud of what we were doing and we were leading into the 20th anniversary. And I had a whole bunch of great plans and great ideas that I wish that I was able to roll out. And that one, it, not getting to the 20th anniversary really sticks in my craw. I'm not going to sit here and lie. It's, it's really painful because I had a great, a lot of stuff that would have really hit, really, really hit uh, well with listeners. And that was just such a shame. But um, back to the lineup that we had. Um, yeah, like we were just, we had a great mix more than anything as well, right? Because uh, Halford and Bruff kind of hit, you know, they were goofy, but they had their own kind of audience. They had a different audience than Donnie and Moj. And then Sakaris and Price had their own different audience. But at the same time, there was still some crossover between all three shows. And again, I, I just love the way we were sounding uh, coming down the stretch here. Or ultimately, that came down to our final stretch um, last week. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's tough to, to hear all this again because, you know, Chris and I yeah. were both listeners. We both knew you guys were just hitting your stride. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame for sure. Um, Trev, I guess we'll close out here. Before we do that, I wanted to ask you the question that I was telling you before we got rolling here. Chris and I were debating this. What's more important for a pizza, the sauce or the cheese? 
Um, I'm going to go with the sauce. Boom. Perfect. That's the correct answer. Yeah, no, and I, yeah. and don't, don't get me wrong. There's a, there's a clip in our archive. It was just me saying, I love cheese. And that was played <laughs> off the air a bunch of times. And don't get me wrong. I do love myself some cheese, but in terms of when you're making a pizza, I, let's put it this way. When I make it, when I make a homemade pizza, I need a certain kind of sauce, but I could go between different kinds of cheeses. It's whatever's on sale in that given moment. It's basically the cheese that I choose. Um, in terms of different kinds of mozzarella. But in terms of sauce, I like to have the same one every single time. So I'm going to go with sauce being uh, number one. Okay, let me let me jump in here <laughs> for a second. Here's the thing that I said to Quads. Would you rather have a pizza with your favorite cheese, the best cheese, the most expensive cheese, whatever it is, the best cheese in the world with ketchup? Or would you rather have the best sauce in the world on a pizza with Kraft Singles? That's a ridiculous question. Yeah. Why are you putting ketchup? In, just how about a bad sauce instead of doesn't matter. ketchup? That's how bad it can be. Matter? It can be ketchup bad of a sauce, Who's and the cheese will ketchup? make the pizza. Who's putting yeah. ketchup on your pizza? Nobody. That's an odd. That's an odd comparable there. Yeah, I, 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 I ain't buying that one. Sorry. I'm just saying, like you could turn it into somewhat of a grilled cheese kind of mixture with the ketchup and the best cheese. What are you talking about? This is, oh my gosh, this is this is tough for Chris. Holy cow! I know oh I'm in gosh. the wrong. Every single food take I put out there is in the wrong. Apparently, <laughs> Trev, he put sour cream on lasagna once. Do you know that okay. story? That's that's just awful. Like, <laughs> one time, that's... and I lost all my Italian followers in 15 seconds of posting that. Tweet. Yeah, I'm the that's... only Italian that still follows him. <laughs> that's awful. Like yeah. seriously, man. <laughs> I, need, I need help uh trev appreciate you uh doing this and sharing some stories with us um you know i, I wouldn't be here uh over on the lower mainland and moved away from my hometown in nanaimo if it wasn't for tsn 1040 i wouldn't be at bcit probably wouldn't have this podcast probably wouldn't be trying to make it into radio if it wasn't for what you guys uh were able to do and inspire me to to get away from the mill and move on to something that i wanted to do for the rest of my life so uh, i just want to say thank you for for all your work over 17 and a half years i wish it could have gone on for maybe seven more down but uh yeah tough day on last week on tuesday but i appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us uh and our listeners here yeah no problem i i i would have gone until i was 65 or until i was able to retire whenever that would have been i i really enjoyed what i did for a living um i took like i said i took great pride in it and pride in it and it was a it was a huge gut punch a gut punch that i've never experienced before i hope i never experience again and i commend you guys for keep on grinding it because in the face of what you're seeing right now um obviously uh, there's an ugly side to this business but i certainly tell everyone that asked if they should get into it if you have a passion for it if you love what if you love it as long as you said this is a crappy part of this business then just go for it because i knew that this like i said i knew that this something like this could have happened um i didn't think it would go like i said as bad as it did um but I accepted that because I loved what I did. I just, I loved radio and I loved sports and I loved working with those, with that crew because it was a lot of fun. And I, again, knowing what I know right now, this week, a week after, I still don't regret anything. I don't regret uh, any business 10 years ago when it was, might've been a little bit easier. So I commend you guys for uh, sticking it out and grinding it out. And I wish nothing but the best of luck to you guys. And uh, thank you for having me on.
Oddshark.com is your home for sports odds, picks, betting, and futures. Speaking of futures, my big bet right now is taking Braden Holtby to win the Vesna. You've heard Chris and I talk about that if there's anybody that can get Holtby back, it's Ian Clark. So we bet, well, we, I say we, it was just me. I bet that Braden Holtby would win the Vesna. That's my big bet. Go make a play at oddshark.com. All right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade, the Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far, my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks. Pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best tastiest drink on the market right now he's got a forward nice move McEwen into the goal and he scores what a play by Zach McEwen who draws the comments to within one a little shimmy shake Guys, and join us now for our weekly segment to get caught up with what's going on down in Utica. We're riding the bus with Corey Hergott. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, learning how the Zoom calls work uh, with the Utica comments right now. I got cut off a little bit today as I was trying to sneak in uh, a question to Trent Cull. Yeah, we're all still kind of learning that system in Utica. That's fairly new, um, obviously, this season. So basically what we've kind of come up with now is is each person sort of gets their, their two questions and then it moves on to the next person and then to the next person. And if you still have another question, you can circle back at the end. But the uh, we haven't really gotten into the organizing who goes when portion <laughs> of the Zoom talks. So they can be a little bit chaotic. I, my understanding is going forward, they're going to be a little bit uh a little bit more um fine-tuned as far as who's gonna who's gonna the order of the questions anyway so yeah it was kind of funny to see you sitting there this morning kind of trying to ask a question to a guy that had already walked out of the room <laughs> yeah there's definitely some zoom struggles for sure i was at a point where i was in class watching pod coles and tape and on a zoom call with the comments so i was kind of multitasking a little bit too much i guess at that point but the worst part about it was getting chirped by you right after i missed the call and as i couldn't <laughs> even get my question and i'm getting chirped by you on the zoom 
Yeah, well, I, uh, I've been the rookie in the Utica market there for, for a while now, so it's your turn to be the rookie there this yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take it, I'll take it. Well, uh, let's get into this team because some rookies are, are ones that I want to talk about from what we saw in this past three games now. We have a little bit of a sample size from this Comet season. They're coming off of a 6-5 shootout win over the Binghamton Devils. Uh, Corey, maybe just get some initial thoughts on that game, maybe who you think stuck out from these Canucks Young Prospects. Well, I noticed that you uh, you had tweeted out about it almost as soon as it happened. Uh, watching, you know, Jet Wu, first year player in the league, he uh, he sees Cam Darcy, a former Comets player, who's a pretty scrappy Bostonian guy who doesn't take uh, anything from anybody. Uh, Darcy kind of ran over Lucas Yashik after <laughs> Yashik took a a bit of a clumsy pass there from Nolan Stevens and. Uh, Jet Wu was very quick to jump in and, you know, say none of that with my guy on the ice. And uh, that's good to see. You've got a young guy that's out there and, and he's not afraid to get his nose dirty right away. Uh, like this wasn't something where it looked like, you know, Jet Wu was kind of toying with the idea of jumping in. He was in there right away. So that's good to see from him. Uh, seeing Carson Folk, you know, he got his first goal. Uh, it was a beauty. Nice little backhander uh, top shelf. Uh, we like to see plays like that. We like to see a guy uh, play well in a, in a game. And, uh, you know, you've got a rookie center there working on a line with uh, Will Lockwood and Jonah Gadjevich, uh for the most part. So, you know, Trent Cullen and his coaching staff are trusting three pretty young guys or at least pretty green guys there to work a line together. And they're, uh, you know, they're all Vancouver Canucks prospects. And we gave them the uh, the nickname of the LFG line. I, I shouldn't have to explain it, but it's the let's, let's effing go line. And uh, I think that works well. Those three all play hard and, and they all, uh, you know, they play the game the right way. Yeah, I feel like uh, the big fella's been like your crown jewel for nicknames. But man, the LFG line, that that is bang on, Corey. I love that one. The Lockwood folk um, Gadjevich line. And maybe we'll touch on that line a little bit because you mentioned it. A pretty young group, obviously very young actually, and, and very green like you said coming into the AHL. But man, it, it feels like a different start to an AHL career for a guy like Carson Folk compared to what we saw with Cole Lind, I think. I mean, he's he's jumped right in, currently leading the Comets in shots on goal right now. The kid seems to be engaged on every single shift. And, and what are you kind of seeing from that line that you're liking right now? Well, they just work the puck well. I mean, they, it's a pretty good uh, combination of players. Lockwood is flying around out there, and uh, Folk doesn't really seem to have uh, any trouble keeping up with him. He moves around the ice pretty well, too. Uh, Gadjevich, uh, his skating is much better than we've seen from him in the past. He was a little more quiet in the in the last game, but, uh, you know, just the fact that those three guys are out there getting, you know, some putting in being put into some prime minutes from the coaching staff is a good thing you you kind of look at the way the comets lines shake out and you've got that high octane berchi lind anis line and then you've got a really pretty solid shutdown group with lucas yashik between uh it's been curtis mckenzie and uh, it was nathan walker until walker got injured uh my understanding is he could be back for next game mm-hmm. um but you, the way the lines are shaking out, it's allowing for, for Cole to use those three as a group, as a unit together, Gadjevich, Folk, and Lockwood. And, uh, you know, the, just the fact that they're doing that, I think, is a it's a feather in the cap of 
we're seeing how the coaching staff in Utica has uh, evolved as far as, you know, learning on the job as well. Call was his first year coaching this team, was his first year as a head coach at the pro level. And he's adapted his game, and he's spoken about it before, how he's not used to kind of taking the reins off the offensive players, and he's doing that a little bit more this year, and and they really want to push the offense. They want to keep the guys playing defensive hockey, but uh, pushing the offense is a big part this year for the Comets. They're going to need to do that with uh, such a young green-blue line. They're going to have to outscore, and and that's, that's a good thing. I mean... They're, they're teaching these uh, these young guys they're to be defensively responsible, but they're also allowing them to to create when they've got the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a really interesting situation I think we're going to see with the LFG line that you talked about there. I mean, those players have so far, so far looked pretty dang good in their own defensive zone, I'd have to say. I mean, like, they haven't given up a ton of goals at 5-1-5. But I, I want to key in on one of them specifically because I've had a lot of people ask questions about them because I've, I've been putting out clips of some of these young prospects as much as possible. But I'll be honest, it's hard for me to to see one clip that kind of sticks out of the way that Will Lockwood has been playing because you mentioned it. I mean, he's flying around the ice, but not really getting any results on the score sheet yet or even getting hits registered. But what is it about his game that, that is impactful in one of these AHL games? Well, and I think with, with Lockwood, it's going to be, for him, it's going to be a case of the defensive player whose offense will, will come uh, from being good defensively. And you mentioned it, uh, that that trio hasn't uh, really given up a ton of time in their own end. I think that's kind of Lockwood's, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, his bailiwick, if you want to call it that. That's his, his wheelhouse, his, uh, you know, puck possession. And uh, the offense will, will come from that. I think that's the thing with Lockwood is he, he moves around the ice really well. Uh, he is unafraid to go out there and, and uh, dish out a pretty stiff hit to a, to somebody much bigger than he is. That could be a detriment. Uh, we've seen he's been a little bit brittle in college hockey uh, pre, in previous years, but you know he's he plays that rough and tumble style. And if he's going to make it to the NHL, he's going to have to continue to play that. You know, almost like a Tyler Mott sort of a game and and. Uh, the other thing with Lockwood is we see him taking a lot of face-offs as a winger. I mean, uh, he's he's done that whether he's been on the penalty kill or whether he's uh, moved to a different line from Folk, but or if he's taking the the face-off on the, on his strong side. But he's a guy that's got some utility, a, another winger who can come in and, and take face-offs, and uh, I think that's going to be really Will Lockwood is going to be that uh, Swiss Army knife type of player. Who, when he gets to the NHL level, if he gets there, he's, he's going to have to be that kind of like a Yannick Hansen, very fast, hard on the forecheck, forced turnovers for your line mates, kill penalties, and uh, any offense that comes from that will be a, will be a bonus. Absolutely. And to stick with the prospects here, um, I guess I, I just want to get your opinion on this. Who do you think has shocked you more given the expectations that we had coming into the season? Is it the way that Jet Wu's been playing? Because I've seen a little bit more offense than I think I was expecting from what he did at the CHL. And the same thing with another guy from actually his teammate over in Calgary with the Hitman and Carson Folk. I mean, leading the team in shots like we talked about earlier, I think there were some decent expectations for him. But what we talked about last week, I think, on the show was that it's going to be difficult for Jet Wu to hop in. I mean, being a defenseman in a professional league is a huge jump. But Carson Folk, at the same time, like he's just playing great and he's getting involved in every shift. So out of those two, who do you think has shocked you the most from your expectations coming into the season, Corey? 
Well, I hadn't ever seen uh, a minute of Carson Folk playing hockey in a game, like actual game action. Mm -hmm. So uh, anything that I'm seeing from him is new for me. So uh, for him, it's not a, a case of being shocked or surprised. It's a case of saying, huh, this kid is actually stepping in and, and uh, he's showing that he's, you know, he's not afraid. He's not timid. He's he's going out there and he's playing his game and there's going to be some hiccups along the way. But, you know, so far, the, the early returns are pretty good for, for what we're seeing from him. But for Jet Wu, uh, you know, he, he played his last game on on the left side. He's a right shot defenseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, every game, they I mean, I say every game, they've only played three games. He's played all three. Uh, he's had a different defense partner in each game. So he's proven to be adaptable. Uh, you know, he's got a different guy on his offside every time. And then he's playing the offside in his most recent game. Uh, you know, he's he is showing a little bit more offense than than I was kind of expecting not that he's piling up points yet but you can see you know some stretch passes and you can see him jumping up into plays and and uh, just making some pretty decent passes um you know in the physical play where I think is something we're gonna sort of expect from him I wasn't really expecting him to to jump to the aid of a teammate so quickly or so early on in the season but uh, I do expect to see him as a player that's going to, uh, you know, dish out some pretty solid hits throughout the season. Um, you know, we've seen some warts in his game. He's, he's you know, coughed up the puck a few times when uh, it wasn't necessarily a situation where it should have been coughed up. Um, you know, it's, sometimes you can get put pressured into coughing up a puck and, and it's understandable sometimes it's just a, a bad play and he's made a couple of bad plays this year but he's also uh you know th- those bad plays were kind of more early on in the first game first game and a half he's kind of uh dialing things in as he goes again young guy there's going to be ups and downs throughout the season but uh so far i'm 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 impressed i mean you know, Jet Wu is the young guy on the team. Uh, he's a rookie. Uh, he's not been sat yet for a game. Josh Tevez, uh, you know, he, he's he got a one-way deal down in Utica making NHL money, and, and he sat out last game. So, um, you know, I think that's that's a good sign for Wu, maybe not as good for Tevez. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's that time of the week, time to check in on Cole Lind. Uh, good weekend for him again. Uh, two goals in the game against the Devils. He's now up to four goals in three games. Uh, three of those goals coming on the power play. He's also got a couple penalty minutes and ten shots on net through three games. Uh, just about Cole Lind making the transition to center, I felt like Saturday's game he was a little bit better in the faceoff dot. Was I was noticing that too. It's I don't. Uh, I, I'm not a guy that sits there with the pencil out and, and making little tick marks every time a guy wins or loses a, a face-off. Maybe that's something I'll start zeroing in on a little bit with Cole this year going forward. But uh, you know, he he is adapting to the position. He's learning. Uh, again, there's going to be some some ups and downs for him. The defensive side of things haven't been quite as as uh, great as the offensive side. But I, you know, he's going he's going to dial that stuff in. He knows what his issues are, and he's working on them. So, I think it's really good that he's got uh, two very good line mates with him. That's going to, you know, keep kind of help prop him up in that position until he's, you know, until he actually is the guy, until he actually does take over. Uh, you know, he's got a couple of pretty good players there to help him along, and and we're seeing, you know, last year we saw Cole's game his confidence come in when it came to, you know, the, the plays after the whistle and, and the mucking it up and going to the dirty areas of the ice this year where I'm seeing some confidence is in his shot. I mean, he is yeah. just unloading shots from 
anywhere on the ice and he's like he's dropping some bombs out there a couple of pretty nice one-timers for his goals in the last game and uh, when you've got a guy who can be a trigger man on a power play like that um man could use somebody like that up in vancouver next year eh? yeah most definitely i think that's the thing that um is going to be so interesting because uh I mean, I saw Colin did last year. I thought that maybe this season he could get a call up to the NHL just to get a run as a winger. But with the transition to center, I'm wondering if it's a full season in the AHL for him to keep developing it. And and you brought it up. I mean, I, I think I saw your tweet about it. Like, you know, he's ripping it like what Reed Boucher was doing, but he's doing it from different parts of the ice, right? He was doing it from the bumper position, times on the left side at 5-on-5 five five as well. Like, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of confidence in this kid that's growing right now. But for, for people that might want to just bang that drum a little bit and say when is Cole Lynn going to get to the NHL he's already got big four goals in three games like what would you have to say to people that say like let's get Cole up to the NHL right now and see what he can do well and this is the thing Chris is if you had have asked me you know last year before all this COVID stuff happened would we see Cole Lynn get a sniff at the NHL this season I would have said Absolutely, we'll see Cole Lind in the second half, closer to the trade deadline for a couple of three games, just to get a sniff at what, uh, you know, give him a, a, some reps at the NHL level so he knows what he has to do over the summer. Um, because of the way this season happened and, and because of how we're seeing, you know, the taxi squad guys, which is where Cole would have been, uh, they're not, you know, ba- we've seen Bailey for a couple of games, we've seen Louie now in and out a couple of times, but the, the taxi got squad guys up front at least aren't seeing a lot of play. Right. So I think with Cole shifting to the middle, uh, I think it's a great idea for him to spend the full season in Utica. He can spend all year down there. He can, you know, really pump up his offense, pump up his confidence. He can learn to be uh, defensively responsible as a centerman. And, you know, next year coming into camp, I wouldn't be surprised if he's pushing, you know, for a job as that fourth-line center or maybe as the extra forward that's going to get slid into a fourth-line center role or, for, you know, a wing center guy like they, they tend to use people sometimes. I, I just think that uh, I think Cole can get there. We've seen each season since he's been since he turned pro, it's been year over year we've seen progression from him. Uh, it's a new role, so this year being a centerman, so that's uh, that's something new for him to take on. And, and I, I do think we will see him getting PK minutes towards the end of the season once he's uh, adapted to the center position. Yeah. I think that I think it makes sense keep him down there and uh, give him all the ice time he can get. Uh, we've waited this long for Cole Lind. We can wait a little bit longer. The, you, if they were to bring him up this year, and he has, you know, let's say he comes up and pots a, you know, two goals over six games and and looks like a guy who can keep up you're probably losing him to Seattle, right, in the expansion draft. So you keep him in Utica. He has a good year down there. He's Nobody's seen him at the NHL level. He's still a bit of a mystery on that side of things. Maybe you end up losing somebody else and you you get to hang on to Colt Lynn. Yeah, that'll be be interesting too because two contracts that are up after this year, Adam Gaudet and Brandon Sutter, right? So those two of your centers coming off the books. So it does open up an interesting situation. It'll be be curious. I'm curious to see how Vancouver really stick handles their way through trying to keep Cole Lind and not leave him exposed in the expansion draft. And uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap up the Lind talk there. I got one final thing, um, Corey. I know you've been working on a story. I don't know how much you want to tease it, uh, that you had a conversation with one of the, I think, very important players from what he brings to the ice for the Comets. Do you want to tease that one a little bit? 
I can tease my story a little bit, but I can't tease yet where, who I'm writing it for because okay. this is for a different platform and that announcement isn't going to be made until later in the week. Uh, but I did. I sat down uh, this past week and spoke with Vinny Arsenault. Uh, Vinny's, uh, you know, a guy that my first year covering the Comets, he came in on a PTO and uh, earned an, a second PTO. That's a professional tryout offer. Uh, so he, in my first year covering the team, he was there on back-to-back PTOs, and he's been a, on a one-way contract with the Comets ever since. He's a he's an AHL player. He's earned a, earned a spot on that on that team, and he's earned a spot in the room as as one of the leaders there. And you know, when we think about players at the AHL level as fans of an NHL team, we can kind of get a little bit upset when we see a guy oh Vincent Arsenault he's an AHL guy and he's getting more minutes than Jonah Gajevic uh I don't understand that and and to it you know I I I was like that to a certain extent as well but when you when you sit down and you talk to these players and you understand kind of who they are and who they've been in their past and and what they're bringing to the team I mean Vincent Arsenault has won a Memorial Cup and followed that up with back-to-back uh Kelly Cups in the in the ECHL, he's he's got a winning pedigree. Uh, whether you like the fact that he's a fourth line kind of rough and tumble guy or not, uh, he's a guy that is out there working incredibly hard every game. One of the things that kind of stuck out to me in the interview was uh, kind of loosely phrased. It was you know when we have practice, we're out there for an hour and a half, and if you can't go all out for an hour and a half during practice, you don't have any business being in the league. I mean that's. That's a guy that you want your kids learning from. They're they're seeing a guy that, uh, you know, Vincent Arsenault didn't know if there was going to be hockey this year. He didn't know if he was going to have a job. Um, yeah, he's a professional hockey player uh, playing, you know, living out his dream in the wintertime. This offseason, he went back home to uh, his small little island where he lives in Quebec and spent, uh, was it nine weeks on a crab boat? crab fishing uh he's then followed that up with uh, a lobster trip and uh finished that off by starting to build his first home him and his father building it together by themselves wow. um you know that's these guys aren't millionaires down there who are living the lap luxury and stealing minutes away from from the prospects of your team uh this is a guy who who knows he's very fortunate to be playing professional hockey uh he still his words to me were uh, I, I would love to play one game in the NHL. I don't have to play a whole season, just one game. That would be, that's still a dream for him. He's 28 years old. Uh, that, that dream is probably waning for him as far as becoming a reality, but he sh- still shows up every day in Utica with that mindset. And when a guy like Jonah Gajevich or Cole Lind gets to play with him on a line and they get to see, you know, Vinny is all out every shift. He's a human cannonball out there just crushing people. Um, that's that's setting a pretty good tone for for those kind of players down there, and, and I have all kinds of time for for a guy like Vinny Arsenault. Absolutely, you mentioned the Memorial Cup and the two Kelly Cups. I, I'm I'm guessing he's probably the heavyweight champion of this Comets team, if not the AHL as well. I mean, nobody messes with Big Vinny on the ice when you're dropping the gloves. That's for sure. Yeah, he's uh, the first year covering the team. I saw the. I think I even wrote it one time. Vinny Arsenault is a gamer. He'll take anybody on, but I haven't seen him win too many fights. And it's like he read that and uh, flipped me the bird because I haven't <laughs> seen him lose too many since then in my, in my first year there. So, uh, yeah, Vinny's uh, – and, and the fights are one thing. I, I mean, that's 
you know, that's a person that has to go out there and put his body on the line every game. And, and he's, that's the expected role from him. If, if things get out of hand, Vinny's going to go out there and, you know, clean somebody up. But the idea that he goes out there and is just like, you've seen the guy play. He's a menace on the ice. He's just flying around everywhere. He, you don't see him coasting. You don't see him taking shifts off. He's a guy that knows that for him to stay in the lineup, he has to be all out. And that's that's the, the example that uh, he puts forth for the kids. Like he said, you know, I'm French. My English isn't great. I don't talk a lot in the room, but I can lead by example out on the ice. He said, you know, it's, it's, he's been putting his body on the line. It's it's you know, he's been doing this since Bantam, right? He's, he's been a big kid for a long time. Mm-hmm. So his body's taken the lumps, but like he said sometimes you you get the bruise and sometimes you get to dish out the bruises and and uh Vinny definitely enjoys dishing out the bruises <laughs> absolutely coming off of a, a career high with 90 penalty minutes last year and 33 games for him so i'm excited to see the story drop there Corey. and uh thanks again for doing this and we'll check in with you next week after you know i guess the the home opener which happens tomorrow and then a strange as you mentioned before we started recording a very strange thursday night game so maybe you want to set that up as we kind of close out here what's coming up uh and what we'll probably be talking talked about next week yeah we've got syracuse tomorrow uh yeah syracuse tomorrow and rochester on thursday uh back-to-back games against the teams that they they play like a gazillion times each this year uh i expect each of these games against syracuse and rochester to get uh, the intensity level to go up with each game uh that that gives guys like uh cole and and uh Jonah Gajevich and you know Will Lockwood with his physical play that gives those guys a chance to shine a little bit and and uh, you know I'm looking forward to seeing if Cole can you know keep continue taking the next step as a as a centerman I I, I want to see him continue uh, improving on his faceoffs I want to see him you know getting uh, a little bit harder on the back check than we've seen a couple of times from from him i've seen him his feet not moving a couple of times and i think that's uh that's just a uh, product of him still just figuring out where he needs to be on the ice Mm -hmm. at that particular moment so uh i think it's going to be a couple of really good games they're in utica it's the home home opener the the rowdy fans won't be there but uh i think you know that that building means a lot to those players that are there at least the ones that have been there for a while so it should be a good uh, good couple of games and we'll have plenty to talk about next week. I've got a I can tell I can put this out there now. I've got an interview that I'm going to be doing on Thursday afternoon for Canucks Army. I'll be speaking with Brent Butt about uh, you know, he's a, a, a I'll call him a kid. He's a couple of years older than me, but he's a kid from Saskatchewan who's a Canucks fan and such a big Canucks fan that he's uh, you know, gone to the to the extent of starting his own uh, a separate Twitter account to live tweet games. So I think there's a fun story there. I, I plan to get to the bottom of it. Absolutely. From Corner Gas, good comedian as well, good Canadian guy, like you mentioned from Saskatchewan. I've heard the, the story of him becoming a Canucks fan is kind of cool, so I'll have to hear that and read that in your article here. Um, so thanks again for doing this, Corey. Uh, we'll definitely have to check in next week with you and uh, get all caught up on the home openers here uh, for the Utica Comets. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you again next week. And a huge thank you to Trevor Martins and Corey Hergott. Now, we kind of have to address something, and all of our sponsors, sorry, all of our sponsors as well, wonderful people, but we kind of have to address something, because at the start of the show, Chris and I were like, oh yeah, we'll come back with more Canucks talks. We were kind of rolling there, like we were on a bit of a roll, Chris, I don't know about you, but I, like, I was feeling it, and it sounded like you were feeling it too, so it would have been great to continue talking, but we had to record with Team Art, we want to get this episode out as fast as possible, we said we'd come back and talk more Canucks, 
I don't think that's going to be the case. This episode's already very long. You can come back on Saturday and we will have tons of Canucks talk. We're probably not going to have a guest, so you'll be good there, other than Corey, of course. Um, but you'll be good there. You'll hear a lot of Canucks talk on Saturday. So if you're a first-time listener of the show, be sure to subscribe. Also wanted to give a shout-out to our Patreon subscribers and just let them know we've got a shooting it coming on Thursday. We are going to be doing one of those episodes that people love so much. Uh, for those that don't know, those are the episodes where Chris and I just talk about our personal lives, don't talk about hockey, and just kind of shoot it. And it's funny because people kind of point out sometimes there's like five minutes of every show where you and I will talk about nothing related to hockey, like we did today about pizza. And shooting it is literally like half an hour to 45 minutes of just that. And it is so much fun. I love talking about whatever, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, Chris, I thought we should kind of address that, that we're not going to be doing much more Canucks talk to end out this show. Yeah, that's fair. It, it, you know, we, we recorded the first uh, little part there and then went straight into talking to Trev. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. We got, you know, 40 minutes of talk with Trevor about 1040. I think I'm happy putting that out as an episode for sure. And then uh, if you're mad, blame Corey Hergot. He's at Corey Hergot on Twitter and he went for 25 minutes today. So if you're mad at someone, be mad at Corey. Isn't he at Comets Corey on Twitter or is it the other way around? No, he's, he's Corey Hergot. But uh, no, I feel oh, bad. He's... I feel bad saying that Corey's like the nicest guy. Don't don't send hate tweets to Corey, please. But yeah, uh, do not send hey, hate tweets to Corey. When you were doing, so our, doing a little outro there. Uh, there's something that I always forget to do, and I feel like we need to do it every time. But if you could, uh, just give us a rate and review on Apple Podcast. Uh, we haven't had one in a long time because we always forget to ask for one. So if you're a new listener or if you just haven't done it yet, uh, we'd appreciate uh, maybe like a five-star review and just say, I blame Corey as your comment or whatever. Sorry, I, I don't mean to bury Corey in this, but <laughs> we had a great conversation about the comments too. I hope that people enjoyed that interview. But yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, for our Patreon listeners, if you guys are going to hear, you guys are going to hear an episode on Thursday, we're going to put together something because uh, school kind of slows down for us a little bit, but we're also about to switch classes here. It's just like a crazy stretch this week. And uh, man, I think we're going to be in a good mood on Thursday for that Patreon episode. Might even have to crack a mic's hard um, for sure. I had to crack one last night. My losers chug for my fantasy hockey league was not happy about that. I tried to tried to pop a hole uh, in the mic's hard on one of our goat's horns. And it wasn't sharp enough to poke a hole into the can. So that was my loser's truck video that I tried to do. It didn't end up working out. Um, but it's still, it was a good drink anyways in the end. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to hop on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Canucks Convo is where you can find it. Uh, $5 tier, $10 tier. Both of those will get you the bonus content. The $10 tier will get you into the draws, which we just did a giveaway for two of our winners. I'm excited to send those out to the folks as well. We got some cool little gift packs for them. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate a ton of support, especially in the times that we're at right now with, with 1040 shutting down. Uh, and the, the radio industry as it is, is tough. The podcast industry is tough too. Don't let me say that it's easy. It's, it's also very, very <laughs> tough. Um, but at the same time, we appreciate so much of you guys' support on Patreon. And I appreciate Trevor Martin's jumping on the show. Corey Hergot as well. Just to, to take it back to that, that conversation with Trev, like, Man, that that was you know there was times where it felt pretty tough to to even have that conversation, right? I mean, there was he mentioned it like he felt that the station was never in a better spot. Like two weeks ago, he felt like the station was yeah. never, and I think he was right. 
Like they had such a variety of shows with the morning show and the you know the mix of comedy and sports together, and then pretty much a full few hours of comedy with 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 uh, Donnie and the Moj, and then Sakaris and Price I think had the best sports talk radio state sports talk show in Vancouver. I thought they did an incredible job every single time they took to the airways. So not to mention Rob Fay at night. I mean he knocked it out of the park like like Trev said five hundred comments on a facebook live video so appreciate him coming by and uh and giving us some stories from his 1040 days 17 and a half years in the industry like wow wow impressive career but that's all i got quads uh you can close this thing out since you're hosting yeah it was a fun episode chris we will be back on saturday we want to give a quick shout out to our friends at odd shark typically we do a betting segment we're going to be doing one for sure on saturday's episode but this one we don't think it's quite appropriate so we just wanted to give a shout out to our friends at oddshark.com go check them out they give you the best intel for sure when it comes to making bets that's why chris and i are just swimming in it oh with our uh, bodogs accounts <laughs> bro i'm not reading enough articles on odd shark let me let me give one can i give one betting tip since we, we should do the segment for our friends at odd shark absolutely here's my one betting tip don't start betting on live sports events at two in the morning just because the odds look pretty good you have no idea what you're doing and you will lose your money and i'm speaking from experience because i tried to hit some crazy parlays at like two in the morning betting on like italian soccer that was going on and who knows what other sports league and esports leagues that were going on in europe and i don't know what i got myself into there uh, I should have read up on Odd Shark and learned what I was doing. So missed uh, missed on a lot of parlays the other night at about two in the morning, uh, but that's okay because now I got Odd Shark and I'm just gonna listen to their articles and, and do some real bets instead of betting on esports uh, going on in Europe at two in the morning. Wait, so you're telling me I shouldn't bet on U18 Vietnamese League women's soccer anymore? Well, it depends if you have a source. Like, what? Remember the one parlay that I told you I hit hard. I had a bunch of Counter Strike, <laughs> bunch of Counter Strike or CS:GO. I had a bunch of those matches in there mixed in, and I picked all the winners because I looked at another betting website, and it showed that like these guys were going to honestly win. So I said, okay, I'm going to take that. You know, I went with it. I, I rolled with it. Hit all of those parlays. So I don't know. Maybe if you have if you have any insight into what you're betting on, do it. But don't do what I did the other night and just start throwing down. You know five six seven different parlays at five to ten dollars each and and watch your funds just dive away so bet on a sport that you can maybe watch or know anything about that's my uh my odd shark betting segment tip this week fantastic fantastic way to close out the show chris for chris faber my name is dave Guadrelli. thank you so much for you the listeners for checking out our show listening thanks again to trevor martins and Corey hergott and to all of our sponsor for chris faber my name is dave Guadrelli. this has been the canucks Conversation.